Well, a year ago, I was standing up here looking in an empty sanctuary, (laughs) and I got to tell you, this is a whole lot better, really. Well, usually on Easter, we set aside what we normally do to do something special. But this morning, we're going to do something a little different, um, or more accurately, we're going to do exactly what we normally do. (laughs) And we want to invite you in to what happens here every Sunday morning. Over the past several months, we have been looking together at the book of Romans, a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. This is a, a book that is filled with truths that relate directly to what we are celebrating together this morning. In his letter, the Apostle Paul is highlighting all that was accomplished through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In this particular section of the letter, we have recognized how Paul is expressing his sorrow for Israel's unbelief. Despite the detailed revelation of the promised Messiah, many in Israel were still relying on religious tradition instead of trusting in Jesus as their Savior. And I believe if Paul were still alive, he would have just as much sorrow with what he sees in our world today. At least 70% of the world's population does not believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins. 70%. To put that percentage into perspective, that's over 5 billion people. And it should break our heart. 5 billion people. And yet, in many churches like ours this morning, it will be packed on Easter Sunday. Because not unlike we see in biblical times, there are lots of people who are curious, far less who are truly committed. And our hope this morning is that you see firsthand through the truth of God's word, his incredible love that he has for you. Regardless of what you're here for this morning, I sure hope that's ultimately what you leave with. We hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel safe. We hope you feel glad that you came and you want to return again. But more importantly, we hope you see Jesus and you see his incredible love for you. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we do want to see Jesus. We want to see him clearly. We've been singing about this living hope, this risen Savior, this new life, and we want to understand that even more clearly this morning. So, Lord, would you open our eyes to see this truth, open our hearts to believe this truth, and open our wills to to walk this truth faithfully in the world in which we live today. We are trusting you. We believe in you. We are thankful for the word that you will bring this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you want to, you can turn to Romans chapter 10. As you do, when we look at our passage this morning, I want to remind us again the primary focus of Paul in his letter at this point. He's making sure that we understand that God's promise has not failed. You see, God made a promise to bring a Savior who would bring salvation 
to the world. And he has sovereignly protected that promise through the nation of Israel despite the disbelief of many in Israel. And yet he patiently endures, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. And so he continues to make that message known, even as we will see in our passage this morning. So if you would read along with me, beginning in chapter 1 of or chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. So what we see here is Paul is turning his sorrow for the unbelief in the nation of Israel into a prayer for their salvation. And keep in mind, he's praying for people who have routinely persecuted him. Paul has been thrown into prison multiple times. He has been beaten many times. He was even stoned to the point of death, and they just left him there thinking that they'd finally finished him off. All because they didn't like to hear what Paul was preaching. They wouldn't listen to what Paul had to say because ultimately they did not believe that they needed a Savior. Today we call this a cancel culture where you silence those with whom you disagree. But instead of simply removing him from social media, they were trying to take his life once and for all. You see, the Jews had developed a system, and this is why they were so angry. They had developed this system that they were assured would get them into heaven. And by all appearances, Paul even says, they looked very zealous for God. They appeared to be very religious in their actions. They followed those traditions without compromise. But that's because they believed it was those traditions that would ultimately lead to their salvation. And so Paul steps in and he tells them, it won't. There is no system, either the one you have or others that would be developed after you, that will ultimately lead you to salvation, because you are customizing your convictions instead of following God's plan. Your system ultimately is a selfish attempt to get what you want without doing what God says. You may think you're righteous, but you are ruled by sin. Now, you can probably understand why they weren't so fond of his message, right? (laughs) Nor were they fond of the message Jesus preached similarly. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the, the religious, the zealous for God, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones. And uncleanliness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, 
but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, at first glance, this might seem kind of harsh, right? (laughs) But actually, when you look at what's happening here, it's the most loving thing you could possibly do. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you're out in the front yard playing catch with your kids. You're just tossing the ball around and having a big time. One of them misses the ball. It rolls out to the street, so they turn and go get the ball unknowingly without, un- without knowing that there is a-, a car barreling down the street. So would it be loving to just simply remain silent and see what happens? Or would it be more loving to risk your life in any way possible in order to save theirs? That's exactly what Paul is doing with the fellow Jews that he's speaking to. They are blindly walking down a path that leads to destruction. They believe that their good works are enough to merit God's favor. And so Paul is literally risking his life in order to help them see that they are dreadfully wrong. Salvation is not the result of what we must do. Salvation is the result of what God has done. Jesus did for us what we could have never done for ourselves. Only His perfect obedience is sufficient to redeem our imperfect lives. Now, look at Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. Now, what's interesting here is Paul is actually quoting the law as an argument against using the law for salvation. He's quoting from Deuteronomy where Moses is speaking to his people and helping them understand the glorious gift of God's word that has been revealed to them. He reminds them of the curses that come from their willful rebellion and the blessings that flow out of their faithful obedience. He encourages them to to trust in the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. And then he says, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven and to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? In other words, no one in Israel is required to somehow make their way into heaven in order to discover God's word. This is not like the the Lord of the Rings where they're on some magical quest in order to discover this secret message. God has not hidden His Word. And in fact, He has graciously revealed His Word to His people. And it's filled throughout the Old Testament in the law and in the prophets. But Paul then takes it one step further. And he tells his Jewish audience that same word has been made available to you, invisible in Jesus. It's exactly what John writes in his gospel when he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among you. And we saw his glory, 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so no one has to work their way into heaven because Jesus has literally brought heaven down to us. We don't have to discover all the truths that lead to salvation because Jesus came in order to reveal those truths to us. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Moses continues in that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse 13. He says, neither is it beyond the sea or some translations may say the abyss, that you should say who will go over the sea or or down the abyss and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. He's saying this because the truth is anyone who goes into the abyss, whether you're talking about the depths of the sea or the grave itself, simply does not come out alive. It's impossible. Only Jesus has the power to enter the grave and then be resurrected from the dead. No one but Jesus can conquer sin's curse, for the wages of sin is death. We cannot overcome the power of the grave. We can only put our trust in the one who has. Paul finishes by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, when he says, The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. The reason he can so confidently proclaim this truth is because the word is near to you because Jesus, the word became flesh, has drawn near to you. Paul is saying he's the one you're looking for. He's the one that you need. And he's done for you what you could never possibly do for yourself. And so instead of pridefully relying on your own abilities, humbly trust in God's faithful provision. Remember, God's word has not failed. What we see here is it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Look at how he continues in verse 9. He says that you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Paul understands that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. It is from the heart that a person believes that Jesus is Lord. That he is God incarnate. The one who eternally exists in heaven, but who has revealed himself to us on earth. He is the promised provision who would become a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose from the grave in order to give us eternal life. And if that's what you believe, God promises that you will be saved and his word does not fail. The righteousness that leads to salvation is a gift not an accomplishment, a gift that can only be received through faith in Christ alone. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You cannot raise yourself from the grave, but you can trust in the one who has the power to do both. Look at how he continues in verse 11. 
For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this section, Paul really broadens his audience from just the nation of Israel to literally all of humanity. He said, whosoever believes will not be disappointed. See, disappointment is what happens when we trust in ourselves, right? I mean, how many of you have ever known the right thing to do, but chosen to do something different? Or how many of you on the other side of that have known what was wrong, but chose to do it anyway? See, that's what's disappointing. And that's what happens when we trust in ourselves. And there's not a person in this room who cannot relate to that reality. But when it comes to our salvation, there's so much more at stake. You see, the outcome of a bad decision is not just a slap on the hand. The outcome of our willful rebellion is eternal separation from a life-giving relationship with God. A God who keeps his word and made a way for our redemption. But also a God who is just and cannot let the guilty go free. So Paul wants us to understand that Jesus came in order that he might set us free. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants to set us free from our own limitations. You see, trusting in ourselves is eternal disappointment. Trusting in Jesus is eternal life. And God made a way for everyone who believes. See, this is not some secret system for a few. This is not just for people who have their lives together. This is for people whose lives are a mess. You see, the religious are not any closer to heaven than the wretched. In fact, it may be the wretched who understand their need the most. Because until you realize how broken you are, you will not turn to Jesus to be healed. But when you do, when you do, his grace is lavished upon you. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. He doesn't expect us to put our lives together. He wants to do that himself because only he can help you become everything he created you to be. He said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if that's what you believe, that's exactly what he will do. Jesus made a promise and his word does not fail. Now, this morning, we have a great privilege of witnessing some baptisms, and I want you to know that these are people who believe. These are people who are making a public profession of their faith in Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And this is a public profession because the Christian life is not a private affair, you see, we are called to live out the Christian life in the context of Christian community. 
No one can do this alone. God created us to be interdependent upon one another. So let me encourage you, when people are here this morning courageously confessing their faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to consider what that means to you. Now, some of you are going to sit there and you are going to rejoice. I mean, there's going to be emotion leaping up inside of you because everything they're saying is an echo of what you believe and you can't wait to share life with them as you journey in faith together. That's what it should be. But there may be some of you who are not sure what you believe. And so let me encourage you to take this time to consider one very important consideration. I want you to consider this. You are deeply and unconditionally loved by God. See, the one who breathed life into your lungs, the one who speaks truth to your heart, he knows you by name. And everything that we've been talking about this morning in terms of what Jesus came to do to save those who are slaves to sin in order to set them free so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything that he did in order to make a way, he made a way for you. You are deeply and unconditionally loved. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And that's a promise, and God's word does not fail. And so I want you to just take this time this morning to consider that that promise was made to you. You are deeply and unconditionally loved. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for this incredible truth this morning. The power of your resurrection at work in our lives. We are grateful, Father, for the way in which you have made your truth known to us, that you've made it visible in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We do have a living hope. We do serve a living Savior, and we do believe that he made a way. Father, thank you for that truth this morning. May we celebrate it deeply as we celebrate new lives in Christ through baptism. We pray this in your name. Amen.